Matthew chapter 5. The passage that is before us this morning is breathtakingly shocking. It is arresting. It should cause us to really stop and think. It is what I believe to be one of the most significant passages in the New Testament and the whole Word of God. It's easy to overlook it, but when you really allow yourself to meditate and reflect on it, it's an incredibly powerful passage and uh, very instructive, very soul-searching. I want you to look at the concluding verse of the section that we are in, verse 20. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I say unto you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I want to unpack that for you this morning. I hope in some pretty demonstrable ways. But what Jesus is saying is shocking. And it's shocking on a number of different levels. First, what Jesus says is shocking because of its bluntness. Jesus does not mince words. Jesus is abundantly clear. It is shocking because of its audacity. Jesus makes a rather bold pronouncement. He is in the face of the scribes and Pharisees that would be in his meeting. Can you picture being in this crowd? A multitude, Sermon on the Mount, a multitude of people gathered together, and Jesus stands up and says, very pointedly, If your righteousness does not go beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how amazed the people would have been by that statement? How shocked they would have been by that statement? Why would Jesus say such a thing? What's going on here? Is he being nitpicky, incredibly fault-finding, small and judgmental? Or is Jesus saying something that truly makes the difference between life and death? Jesus, what he says is shocking because of its conclusion. Namely, that they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then lastly, what is shocking is its implications. For notice what verse 20 states. For I say to 
you. That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the kingdom of heaven, you will not enter into, excuse me, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice what would be anticipated. For I say to you that unless their righteousness surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, that they shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. But he brings it down to a very personal note. It's given to the everyday listener that you must have a righteousness that's greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is saying He's saying to his own followers. What Jesus is saying, he's saying to the masses of the people. It's applicable to every single person standing there. So what Jesus is saying must be taken to heart. And this would have been the reaction. At least it is the reaction that Jesus hoped for. That is, that when the people heard that they needed a righteousness that exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, that they would have come to the conclusion then, who then can be saved? If God isn't going to accept the righteousness of these scribes and these Pharisees, What chance do we have? Because they looked up to the scribes and the Pharisees. They honored the scribes and the Pharisees. They thought that they were pious, godly people. And if God won't accept them, how will he accept me? Because I don't meet the standards of the scribes and the Pharisees. I tell you, there are incredible implications for us today in our understanding of the gospel and the understanding of the needs of our culture and society. We're going to get there. But first, let us work our way through this text. And the theme is that Jesus seeks to correct a misconception concerning his relationship to the law and what righteousness is. Jesus seeks to... correct a misconception concerning his relationship to the law and what righteousness is. The misconception concerning Jesus is stated first. Notice verse 17. Do not think. Don't think. Now he doesn't say don't think at all, but he's going to say don't think this about me. Don't be caught up with what many are saying. Don't think what about Jesus? Don't think that Jesus came to abolish the law or the prophets. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Well, why in the world would anyone think such a thing of Jesus? What would have led to that kind of conclusion? Why does Jesus have to be concerned with that at all? Who is going to say that Jesus is trying to abolish the law and the prophets. 
Well, the Pharisees thought that Jesus was trying to abolish the law and the prophets because of what Jesus did and said, ran contrary to what the Pharisees did and said. In Matthew chapter 15, we have this confrontation. You don't need to turn there. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother, let him be put to death. So there's the confrontation. Why do you go contrary to the elders? Jesus says, why do you go contrary to the command of God? In so clearly opposing the Pharisees in their teaching, it was assumed that Jesus was opposed to the Pharisees, then he must be opposed to the law. Because in their mind, the actions and the teaching of the Pharisees was the law. It was the explanation of the law. It was the correct understanding of the law. So if Jesus doesn't accept the Pharisees, then he must not be accepting the law. Jesus' position is going to be, oh, I'm all for the law. I'm just not for the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's where it starts. And then it has a rather startling conclusion. That's the crux of the matter. And it is the introduction to the next six sections in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, in which Jesus is going to repeatedly say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. You have heard it said, but I say unto you. Jesus is going to contrast six times for illustration the distinction between what the Pharisees teach and what Jesus teaches. Jesus defends himself by saying that the exact opposite is true. Not only was Jesus not going to abolish the law, he, in fact, was going to establish the law. Jesus states that he did not come to abolish the law. Verse 17, do not think I came to abolish the law or the prophets, meaning the whole Old Testament. In fact, Jesus, for emphasis sakes, says it twice. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish. Conversely, notice the word but. But, in contrast, in real distinction, conversely, not only did I not come to abolish the law, I came to establish it. Notice the words to fulfill. To fulfill. Jesus came to make the most of the law. He came to make the most of the law. The word fulfill here literally means to fill to the fullest. 
to fill to the fullest. I mean, you can think of the law as a cup. Jesus said, not only have I come not to pour water out of the cup, I came to make that cup full. I came to make that law all that it is. With two implications. First, that Jesus would completely obey the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to accomplish it. I came to establish it. I'm going to fulfill all that the law teaches. I'm going to live by the law. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He's going to live under the law. And he's going to fulfill it completely. And the second implication is that Jesus would teach the law and that he would teach it accurately and thoroughly. He's not going to dismiss it. He's going to teach the law and he's going to teach it accurately and thoroughly. Jesus affirms the enduring nature of the law. Jesus prefaces what he's about to say by saying it is true. Notice verse, verse 18. For truly I say to you, truly I say to you, thus what Jesus is about to say, he says in complete truthfulness, that is with personal honesty, candor, and authenticity. What Jesus is about to say, he personally believes. He's being honest, forthright, open. Not a deceiver, not a conner, but he's speaking truthfully. And secondly, what he is saying is objectively true. Objectively true. It's not false, it's not misleading. So, what does he say? Everything that the law says will abide right down to the smallest detail. Notice verse 18. For I truly say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Some of you may have the uh, translation, every jot and tittle. In the Hebrew language, a, a jot is literally a dot. A dot. Uh, it's a dot that is used in making a letter. A tittle is the tail end of a letter. It is the little, just a little mark that is a part of a letter. It's, it's the tail of it. It's like the bottom of a G kind of thing. Uh, a modern equivalent would be, when we use the term dot every I, cross every T. That going across that line, that would be a tittle. That would be a tittle. Jesus is saying not a single dot, won't, not a single I won't be dotted, not a single T won't be crossed until all is accomplished. Everything that the law requires will be done. It is that complete and perfect standard that everyone will be accountable for. The one who personally 
fails in keeping even the seemingly most trivial or insignificant application of the law will occupy a place of insignificance. Notice verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. One of these least commands does not refer to any specific commandment or collection of commands. Rather, it has the simple effect as the jot and tittle terminology in the preceding verse, namely that Jesus used these words to say, do not toy or tamper with any part of the word of God. And if anyone does, you shouldn't elevate them. You should demote them. If they're going to change my word, don't put them on a pedestal. Put them down at the bottom. He's referring to the scribes and Pharisees. These people that hold a a venerated place in the religious community. Jesus is saying, quit honoring these guys. Quit looking up to these guys. Because they have changed my word. One must not change the law in order to make it attainable. Notice verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments. What the Pharisees did was they so interpreted the law that it could be kept. They made up rules that people could follow and that they followed. But in those rules, they actually were annulling the teaching of the word of God. Remember when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The first thing Jesus says is, why do you call me good? Not that Jesus isn't good, but he wants that rich young ruler to come to grips with what he just said. Why do you call me good? And then he said, if you want to inherit eternal life, then go and keep the commands. And the reaction should have been, how can I do that? The reaction was, I kept all of them from my youth. From a child, I did everything I was supposed to do. So, Jesus has to point out, no, you really haven't. So he says to this rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He hadn't loved his neighbor as himself. And the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Not crying out to God for forgiveness. So Jesus reveals the reason for the opposition to the Pharisees. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I say unto you that unless your righteousness uh, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. The righteousness of the Pharisee refers to two things. First, the Pharisees' teaching concerning righteousness. It did not go far enough. It is the idea that is foundational to the next section that I already referred to where Jesus demonstrates that the Pharisees' understanding of the law does not go far enough. 
the Pharisees teaching about murder does not go far enough. Notice verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say unto you, conversely, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fire of hell. Jesus took, you shall not commit murder, and understood it in such a way that if you are angry with someone, you have committed murder in your heart. The Pharisees taught, teaching concerning adultery does not go far enough. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. You have heard you should not commit the act of adultery. Jesus isn't contradicting that. Jesus isn't saying it's okay to commit adultery. What Jesus says is, oh, that's not far enough. That's not a good enough standard. Because if you even lust, if you even just look at a woman wishing that you commit adultery with her. Or think about how wonderful it would be to commit adultery with her. Then you've broken the command. Then you've violated God's word. And Jesus goes on to give six such examples of the teaching and how it doesn't go far enough. What is far enough? Look at the concluding statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Turn with me there. It's the concluding verse of the first section. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Therefore, here's the conclusion. You are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. That's what righteousness is. That's the kind of righteousness that you have to have to be in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be perfect. And these scribes and these Pharisees aren't perfect. And they're not going to make it on their own. They are trivializing the word of God. The second is that the Pharisees' practice of personal righteousness does not go far enough. That forms the basis of chapter 6. All part of the same sermon. First, he addresses their teaching about righteousness doesn't go far enough. Then he moves to their practice, their personal conduct. Their own righteousness doesn't go far enough. Notice Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men 
to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, Jesus goes on to say that in their, their prayers, the Pharisees don't go far enough. In their fasting, the Pharisees don't go far enough. Matthew 6, 16, And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect the appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say unto you, they have their reward in full. And he gives many more examples of how in their personal conduct the Pharisees don't go far enough. So what is far enough in personal righteousness? The concluding statement of Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me there. This is where it's all headed. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against this house, and it fell, and great was its fall. What is personal righteousness? It is accepting the word that Jesus teaches and doing it. The Pharisees opposed the teaching of Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is truly, truly shocking. One must go beyond the standards of righteousness set by the scribes and Pharisees if one is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. One, in fact, has to be perfect. How can that be? Well, one must receive the righteousness that Jesus provides. This should be equally shocking to us today and goes against the commonly held views of many in the broadest understanding of Christendom today. What we are to understand is we're to be shocked. We're to be shocked. We don't have Pharisees around today. We don't have scribes around today. It loses its impact. But believe me, it doesn't lose its application. It doesn't lose its implication. So let me unpack that for you from the, from the least to the greatest. First, Jesus said, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter in the kingdom of heaven. So, what do you think about righteousness? What do you think it is? How do you think it's measured? And do you think you're going to go to heaven? And how righteous do you need to be to get there? 
If your answer is anything less than perfect, you've corrupted the commands and teachings of Scripture. Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it, to establish it. So, what do you believe about what Jesus taught? We should take it to heart. We should allow ourselves to be shocked by it. And realizing that it is no less surprising or unconventional in today's theology than it was in that day's theology. Here are the clear implications. Number one, there are going to be people who are not in heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. There are going to be people who aren't in heaven. Do you know in some theological circles that's shocking in of itself? Rob Bell read from his book a few months ago. Well, probably a year and a half ago now. But uh, universalism. Everybody's going to heaven. Jesus is so loving. God is so kind. Jesus is so merciful. Jesus bore the sins of everybody. Therefore, Everybody's going to heaven. Can't tell you how much scripture you have to annul, how much scripture you have to walk over in order to get to that place. And it's false. Number two. There will be moral people, quote unquote, good people, who are not in the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand the scribes and the Pharisees were good people? They're the kind of people that you want to be your next door neighbor. They're not going to steal from you. They're not going to lie to you. They're going to promote righteousness and goodness. They don't rob banks. They don't commit murder. They are good people. Let me ask you, are there good people who are not going to enter heaven? And the answer to this passage is yes, there are. Good people who aren't going to enter heaven is shocking today. Let's go further. Third implication. There will be devout and very religious people who are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. Very devout and religious people who are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees were people of prayer. The Pharisees did fast. The Pharisees memorized scripture. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. 
Are there religious people who aren't going to be in heaven? Yes. It's hard enough in our modern day, day of tolerance to even talk about world religions. You mean to say that there are going to be Buddhists who aren't in heaven? You mean to say that the Islamics are going to be in heaven? Do you mean to say that there are going to be people who, who pray, who, who turn toward Mecca, and just because they don't believe what we believe, that they're going to be not acceptable? Not accepted? Are you really being so narrow as to say that they have to believe in Jesus? You mean you still hold to that archaic idea that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. There are going to be religious people who aren't in heaven. But that's not it. That's not it. When Jesus said this about the Pharisees, he was talking about the religious leaders of Judaism. So, what Jesus is saying is that there are people who are professing Christians who are religious leaders who are not going to be in heaven. There are pastors who are not going to be in heaven. Do you believe that? Do you believe that a pastor of a liberal church who is not believing in the bodily resurrection of Christ, etc., that, that they actually aren't going to be in heaven? They're not. There are theologians who aren't going to be in heaven. There are Christian authors who aren't going to be in heaven. You start seeing the shockingness of this. You start to see the soberness of this. This is pretty amazing stuff. And it's the heart of what Jesus taught And it's the heart of why he was hated. And it is going to be the source of people's persecution and derision of us. When we identify with the message of Jesus Christ. But the point then, is the same as the point now. Jesus wasn't using this simply as a a diatribe or a condemnation of the scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't just trying to get everybody to wag their heads and say, what awful people these, these, these guys are. I'm sure glad I'm not like them. Oh, that was the wrong conclusion. That's not where Jesus is headed. And it would be the wrong for conclusion for us to just go out here today and say, wow, man, you know, these liberals, these other religions, da, 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 da. that's not the point. That's not the point. 
What Jesus drives home is this. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. So it comes down to us. It's not about the pastors this morning. It's not about the theologians this morning. It's not about the Christian authors this morning. It's not about all the world religions this morning. It's not everybody on the face of this earth this morning. It's about you this morning. It's about me this morning. And why I think I'm going to be in the kingdom of heaven. And the conclusion that every single person in this room ought to meet is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I am going to be so bold this morning as to look you in the eye and say, you're not good enough. And I will look in the mirror and I will say, I'm not good enough. We need a righteousness that is provided for us by the one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did. Completely. Sinlessly. Down to its minutia. He didn't just commit adultery. He didn't lust after a woman in his heart. He didn't just not murder. He never looked at a person and said, you fool. Nor think it in his heart. Jesus was not just righteous externally, he was righteous internally. And when he came to the command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, he loved God with all his heart and all his soul and all his might. He delighted to do the law of God. He was pleased to do his Father's will. Even when that will was for him to go to the cross. He was sinless. And he lived a sinless life in order to glorify God and to provide a righteousness for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus, the righteous one, was treated like a sinner, so that we, a sinner, could be treated like a righteous person. Jesus died on the cross, not for his sins, but for ours. And we go to heaven, not because of our righteousness, but his. And that's the gospel. Jesus says, build your house upon the rock. Build your house upon the truth. Build your spiritual hopes and expectations on that which is real. And that is, you aren't good enough. But through faith in Jesus Christ, you are fully accepted. You are welcomed. You have entrance into the kingdom of heaven. I think that the ultimate and final application is extremely clear and simple. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about what he taught? Where are you in accepting that truth? Have you or will you accept that you're not good enough? That you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That perfection is what is required. So good people, but they're not perfect, aren't going to make it. The best people we know on their own aren't going to make it. It is about people exercising personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. And uh, as I do, I'm going to give an invitation. The invitation is quite simple. Have you ever personally come to grips with your need of Christ's righteousness? If you haven't, then I ask you today to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ and acknowledge that without Christ's righteousness, you are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. No matter how good you are, no matter who you compare yourself to, no matter than how much better you are than this person over here. You know, you could be on a curve, and you could be up here, and everybody else be down here. You're not high enough on that curve. You could be better than everybody else on the face of this earth, but that's not good enough. You've got to be perfect. Who here is honestly going to say, I'm perfect? Can't annul, can't abolish, can't wipe away the teaching of the Word of God. You've got to be perfect. Jesus lived that perfect life, tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. He came not to abolish, he came to fulfill. 
and he did for us so that we could have his righteousness and enter the kingdom of heaven. If you have never prayed and asked God to save you on the basis of Christ's righteousness, I implore you today, make that decision. Receive the gift of the grace of God and be saved. Let's pray. Almighty God, we rejoice in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful for all that he has done. The one who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The one who teaches it accurately and thoroughly. The one who reveals to us just how perfect one has to be in order to meet the requirements of the law. And then how even the good people fall short in those requirements. And then we are amazed and thankful, O God, for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his personal conduct did not fall short in one iota. And he went to the cross in order to obtain the righteousness that we so desperately need. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day. Very quickly, I'm just going to ask, is there anyone here who had not prayed that the righteousness of Jesus Christ be their righteousness, had not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior? If there's anyone here, would you just quickly raise your hand so uh, I can acknowledge it? I already said I have a hard time seeing the back, so you're going to have to raise your hand pretty high for me to see it. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I want to be praying for you, uh, not by name, but in a generic way. And I want to uh, be continuing to pray for you, even after we leave this morning. So is there anyone, quickly, would you raise your hand, that uh, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning? Anyone all? Quickly. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the, the work of the Lord Jesus, for the righteousness that he provides. Oh, Lord, may we ever, ever recognize the standard of the word of God. May we never be self-righteous, not before we are saved or after we are saved. May we understand that any time we think of ourselves as good or holy people, we are trivializing, we are minimalizing the standard of what righteousness is. But may we not just wallow in self-pity. And may we not just engage in a woe is me, I'm undone because I'm a sinner. But Lord, may we rejoice in the standing which we have in Jesus Christ, that in him I am perfect in your sight. For I stand not in my righteousness, but I stand clothed like a robe that is put on me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As I stand before you, I am seen in Christ. And I'm accepted in the beloved. And I'm welcomed because I have a relationship to Jesus Christ. I have his righteousness. May we rejoice today in your wonderful provision. 
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.